Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 302. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lended FinTech. Before we start this episode, I want to tell you about a brand new event from Lended FinTech. FinTech Nexus, the Dealmakers Summit, will be the first major in-person fintech event of the past 18 months. A hand-curated audience of venture capitalists, bankers, fintechs, and debt investors will be meeting face-to-face at an event 100% focused on doing deals. It will be happening in Miami on September 1st and 2nd. You can apply to join and find out more at lendit.com. Today on the show, we are talking credit unions, credit unions and fintech. I'm delighted to welcome the CEO and founder of Credit Union 2.0, Kirk Drake. He wrote a book called Credit Union 2.0 and turned that into a company where he really is all about bringing fintechs and credit unions together to really help credit unions get to the next level. So we talk about what really are the challenges for credit unions today, how fintechs are actually helping, what fintechs get wrong. We also talk about examples of credit unions that are actually doing really good work here with technology. And he's also written a book about AI, so we talk quite a bit about that and how credit unions uh, can implement AI solutions and uh, much more. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Kirk. Thank you. Great to be here. Okay, so let's get started by by giving the listeners a little bit of background. Uh, you've you've had sort of a, a pretty interesting career, and you look at your LinkedIn profile. So give us uh, give us some of the highlights to date. Sure. Yeah. So probably the key ones that jump out of my mind, uh, somewhat circumstantially, just kind of funny things that happened, but some very intentional. So first one was really uh, starting a high school bank where uh, I really never thought I would be in in banking. It wasn't really a goal at the time, but we lived in this small town in Southern Oregon that the lumber industry had dried up and they were looking for kind of uh, vocational jobs training. And they decided bank teller was one of those things. And that Somehow I got tapped on the shoulder to go start the kind of high school branch of that. Uh, and we ended up, you know, crushing it. We, there was two other schools in the area that did that. And we ended up opening 10 times the number of accounts as other schools. I'm, I, to this day, I'm not really sure why, but I'll take full credit. I'm sure that's <laughs> my, my charm, right? So, uh, and then I uh, went to college in the Washington, D.C. area Thought I really wanted to be in political science, you know, spent, you know, two days in a political science group and realized that that was not my future at all because there are a lot more crazy obsessed people about (laughs) about that than I was. And so I went back to kind of the banking side, applied for a bunch of bank jobs. Nobody called me back, started kind of panicking and uh, applied for some credit union jobs once I realized I put the wrong phone number on my resume. (laughs) (laughs) So too, too embarrassed to reapply at that point. So I got hired by a credit union pretty quickly. Turns out, you know, it was the mid nineties. So I grew up, my dad was an entrepreneur. I worked in his business building circuit boards and stuff. And so the first bank job, they put me on the tower line I, and they said, boy, you know a lot about computers. And I said, I have no idea why, right? But sure. <laughs> and so they put me, put me in the IT department and uh, did that for a couple of years, went to work for Fiserv, then moved on from there to... Uh, the the second I think big boondoggle after dot com which was you know kind of the Y two K stuff 
Right. <laughs> so did a bunch of Y2K audits for Navy Federal Credit Union, State Department Credit Union, a bunch of really big credit unions. And one of them hired me to kind of run their IT department at the ripe old age of 21 <laughs> and uh, had a five-person team and kind of a, a budget to you know, move them from 1970s technology to 2000, kind of overnight. And so really did that. And they doubled down and said, let's get us to leading edge and did that for a couple of years. And then was really feeling that I, I thought I'd really want to be a, um, a credit union CEO at that point. And so I decided I would raise some money from some credit unions and start a business because everybody else on the management team was 30 years older than me. Right. So I figured the best way to kind of trump my lack of experience was to go get some better experience than the other people on the team. So I started a, a company called Ongoing Operations, did, did really well with that, and then realized you know, two days out of the credit union that entrepreneurship was where I belonged and, mm-hmm. uh, and not, being in a, not being a credit union CEO, at least at the time. And so, so I kind of went down that road and kind of really learned you know, how to raise money, how to do puts, how to do calls, how to do options, how to do convertible debt, how to you know, manage investors' expectations, how to grow a business. You know, I'd come from a pretty strong technical background. So getting into the, you know, marketing, sales, scaling side of the business, you know, it was just a, you know, the first six, seven years were never-ending lessons to to learn and, and information to absorb that was very different than being at a credit union. Right. And then uh, probably halfway through that journey, had two kind of pivotal moments. One was started to hit my own wake kind of from a business perspective. So things that ideas and concepts and things that you build eventually hit some ceilings or some, some life cycle, you know, changes that have to occur and started to kind of really have to deal with those, which really shaped probably the last five years of my career, where you really start changing some of how you design some of the systems and the people and the teams and the cultures, because you realize some of the byproduct of what you create kind of along that journey. And then secondarily, I got hooked up with uh, Paul Fiore, who's the founder of Digital Insight. And he and I started working on a company called CU Wallet, which was kind of mobile wallets, pre-Apple Pay and pre-Google Wallet. Mm-hmm. And uh, just learned a ton from him about you know, the art of storytelling and the art of, of a launch, uh, much more sophisticated than I think kind of what I had done the first couple of times. And so that really led me to, frankly, just question what I really wanted to do long term and how to create a platform that really allowed me to do that. And that's where Credit Union 2.0 and the first book and now the second book on AI really started getting into solving for, I really enjoy clients two through a hundred. I don't really like finding client number one very well, right. very much. Um, just because whatever you sell client one is not what you end up doing, right? <laughs> it ends up being some weird thing that eventually you have to deal with and you feel loyal to this person who took a risk or this company that took a risk, but it, it's not really what you're going to be when you grow up, Right. And, and so just really kind of focused in on that piece and it's, it's worked, you know, exceptionally well. Right. So let's just, let's just dig into a little bit about the, the two companies. I know you have actually three companies. We, we just yeah. chatted before we hit record, but yeah. one of them is a winery, which we're not really going to focus on today. Um, but let's focus on the other two companies, explain sort of how they started and what they do. Sure. So the first one, Ongoing Operations, was a reaction to 9-11. So we had a group of credit unions in the D.C. area that after 9-11 said, you know, we can't really afford to have this shared risk model where we don't know what's going to actually happen in a disaster. And we built a, a company that basically leveraged VMware to give each credit union exactly what, what they know they would need in a disaster 
but not have the shared risk kind of limitations in that regard. So the traditional model was SunGuard would say, hey, we'll sign up everybody. And the first guy that declares, you get the resources, everybody else, you know, sorry, <laughs> rough day. And so that was kind of the impetus for it. We raised a million dollars to kind of start, got the company going. It went, you know, a million, two million, four million, seven million, 10 million, 14 million, just really did well, all very much focused on the disaster recovery, business continuity planning side of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we had done a couple acquisitions along the way. And, um, you know, those teach you new things you didn't know about how to actually, what, what corporate culture is and what, you know, you can all say the same things, but your values can be quite different in some of those pieces. And so, so along that way, we pivoted into doing cloud hosting, uh, about a cloud company called CloudWorks, trying to do um, secure multi-tenancy cloud stuff for credit unions and fintechs, and then did telecom and cybersecurity stuff kind of on top of that. And so... Uh, that's the first company. It works with about 100, 150 credit unions today, handful of fintechs where we really kind of build that whole ecosystem, you know, specifically within the financial services sector. Mm-hmm. The other company, Credit Union 2.0, really started with the first book. I thought we were going to do, you know, I really focused in on the first book of why was I writing this book and what did I want to achieve with it? And my, my focus was really on um, this intersection between uh, CEOs, boards, and their management teams, where oftentimes we're all saying the same kind of things. We're all seeing the same things in the marketplace, but you kind of need this external validation of a viewpoint in that. And so my view was a lot of credit unions were talking about the need to do digital transformation, the need and the and the threat of fintechs and alternative payment providers and neobanks kind of coming into the marketplace. And nobody really knew what to do about it. And it, and it was really hard to know even where to look for the data to prove the point in those pieces. And so I focused really on a book that I thought would kind of bridge the gap between the boards, the management teams, and the, and the CEOs and give them a framework to talk about it, but also give them really accessible lessons and examples of how to go test and small scale kind of MVP, different transformations within their organizations. Mm-hmm. Now, to be 100% clear, I thought I was writing a really great technology book. I'm pretty convinced at this point that I wrote a really good marketing book. So I'm not sure whether to be super proud of my baby or to be totally mortified, right? But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think I, I focus very much on trying to make the technology super accessible. Um, and I think in the process made it seem less technical, right? Which, which I think is actually a really good thing because it brought in audiences and people who are going to move the needle in those areas, member experience, data analytics, those those folks without it feeling inaccessible. Right. Right. And and that was definitely a a goal of mine. And so that book, we started doing some digital transformation work for a handful of credit unions, figured out pretty quickly that this is a cultural change within those organizations that we've got to be really good at coaching them through the process, but that it's, I I don't know how possible is to do the work from the outside. Right. Um, it's kind of like therapy in some regards, right? It's a way of thinking and you got to go through it and the therapist can't do the work for you. You got to have those aha moments and the right. desire to change, you know, in, in that piece of it. And so that really evolved. Uh, we had really kind of moved out of some of the digital transformation and we're more focused on marketing automation, content marketing, how to evangelize early stage fintechs and make the connections. And then COVID hit, right? Um, and so we had but having some pretty good success in that journey. But COVID really caused us to kind of take a step back and go, all right, what 
what is working really, really well? What is not working well? How do we kill off the not working and double down on the working? And how do we be comfortable that whatever's going to happen in the first 90 days of COVID is totally outside of our control? It's probably an artificial fear. It won't be as bad as we possibly imagine. And the most important thing is for us to, you know, jump on this horse and start start going in the, the, the new direction as quickly as possible. That worked just, you know, sort of exceptionally well in that pivot. And we came out of that with three big buckets of things that we're doing today. The first is what I would just call is lead generation at, at its core or introductions is what we call it, call it. So cold lead generation through email marketing, you know, warming up a list, getting a group of credit unions who've never heard about your product to understand what the product is, what the need is, you know, those kind of things. Following that, we have um, a warm lead program called quarterly fintech call where we have 250 credit unions that every quarter have a call with us. It's a two-way conversation without the fintechs, and we just pitch five fintech ideas. And what it gives us is this really nice market understanding of what the credit unions are hearing in, in the marketplace, who the competitors are, how they're thinking about the problems, which we're then able to distill down to what we call our 2.0 guide. So checking 2.0, small business 2.0, small business lending 2.0, home equities 2.0, you know, that, that kind of thing where we really dissect all this information we're getting back from the credit unions and the fintechs into a framework for that particular digital transformational sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting, um, interesting. And the third one, you said there were three buckets? Yeah. So, well, so the second, second, that's the first bucket is just what I call introduction. Oh, okay. like how do we, how do we build, right. how do we find the right people in the industry? Then influence is the second bucket. And it really, we've built uh, a FinTech credit union mastermind. We've got about 75, 80 people in it at this point, all FinTech leaders and credit union leaders who are a action oriented, B givers, not takers. Right. And C kind of um, really believe in the mission purpose connection between credit unions and fintechs. And in that, we're looking to really build trust between the the two parties so that they can actually have the the difficult conversations about how do we, you know, what do we give up? What do we move forward with? What do we change? You know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And that there's that there's common language between the two groups because they both tend to, you have the the atomizers who have broken everything down to these small parts and the credit unions who have these complex problems that are mature businesses and they really think about the world very differently. And so we have that. And then our third piece is really the kind of uh, catalyst for all this. So we have a FinTech fund where we've raised money from credit unions to invest in early stage FinTechs that have gone through the first couple of buckets. And then we have a, an incubator component of that where we kind of ride shotgun along with the entrepreneurs and kind of provide our wisdom expertise, playbooks, those kind of things. And when you kind of combine those three things together, they seem to be doing a really good job of organically connecting the dots and, and facilitating change and relationships in the industry much, you know, very effectively. Right, right. So then um, can we just take a step back and talk about the credit unions for for a second. I mean, it's, it's really interesting what you've got going there because uh, clearly it's, it's a needed service. You know, credit unions obviously have had their own challenges in particularly in the last 16 months, but even before that. But when you're talking with the credit unions today, what are the main challenges that they want, they want help with? Sure. So the first big challenge that they're facing right now is is liquidity, right? You know, just pumped a couple trillion dollars into you know the the banking sector, uh, and that tends to have a very if you haven't worked 
on the the credit or the bank side of it, I, I think you tend to have a kind of a very different view of what actually happens on the other side. And so in the credit union, what that causes is all of your ratios, net worth, capital, expense ratios, all of those things get way out of whack because suddenly your numerator changed drastically, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the, in the equation. And so that causes the two things, the regulators then start beating up the financial institutions about why the ratios are off, even though it was entirely self-inflicted and driven by the government in the first place. There's no, uh, that seems to be a disconnect in what happens on the ground. And then the second piece is there's a, a move to really put those assets to work as efficiently as possible through the form of loans in there, because they need to turn that, that um, in order to get their interest margin, they need to put that you know, gunpowder to work. The challenge with that is, especially in something like a stimulus package, not only do they get a bunch of influx of deposits, but then people pay down loans. Right. right? And so you have this double whammy where suddenly their interest margin, their their profitability gets out of whack, right? And and then they've got more gunpowder to be, you know, investing uh, in their communities. And then I think the third piece is, which is I think one of the unique things about credit unions is they're really you know, community cooperatives. And so they see huge needs within their local marketplaces, whether it's by credit and suddenly offering PPP loans or administering grant programs or other things like that, that I think are really important at a local level, but are also real challenges on the financial institutions themselves, because they're probably not things they normally would do um, in their day-to-day business, but they see it as, you know, a key part of their mission purpose at a local level. Um, to be supportive, right? Right. So then maybe we can switch to the, the fintechs for a second and talk about, can you, can you give us some examples of how fintechs are partnering with credit unions right now? Yeah. So so the initial things we saw were, you know, hey, we need your help. We need to be able, we, we've done a small scale MVP test in, you know, let's say Pennsylvania, and we need to scale that up to the other 49 states, right, as as quickly as possible. And in order for us to do that, we need to find one credit union in each state who has the geographic presence, the desire, and the liquidity to be able to scale our offering out across the state. And so we would go off and kind of cherry pick and find key credit unions in each of those environments that would do that. The um, It also works in reverse where some of these fintechs are generating large loan volumes and they need to participate those loans out to the credit unions in $100 million tranches or something right. like that. And so same sort of thing. How do we find credit unions that have the, the liquidity and want to put it to work quickly with the right you know credit enhanced or interesting kind of um, investment product on that side? I think that's the real one-by-one solution. What we've been working on, I think we're fairly far down the road of it is the ability to kind of take credit union charters and and what we call the kind of credit box. And so the credit union kind of defines the underwriting criteria. And then the fintech can just book loans directly on the credit union and bring them the correct members in that equation. So um, we think that will really open up at a more systemic level, the ability for fintechs to partner with credit unions and kind of do that work. But then the other scale issues that we often see really come about where the, the fintech, you know, there's, if you look at the top 100 credit unions, there's 22 different online mobile banking platforms, right? So there's ver- virtually very little standardization in that mm-hmm. process. If you look at the core systems, you got another 20, 30 co- cores across the top 500 credit unions. 
And those, when you when you combine 22 different online banking mobile platforms with 20 or so cores, you have kind of infinite, you know, code creep of trying to integrate into all of these. And so, you know, we've looked at and, and have got what we call kind of a fintech service bus in that equation where the fintech can, can plug into one and then it, it brings them a library of core integrations, a library of online mobile integrations and those pieces, which greatly reduces the amount of money and time the fintech has to spend on integrating into the legacy environment. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of the big things that we kind of see out there. But but honestly, the, probably the biggest one that usually is, the, is you know, credit, union and, credit unions and banks are by nature conservative, right? right? And so if they've never heard of your product or you've got some new innovative way to do something, you know, banking generally doesn't like innovative new ways to measure risk, right? Because mm-hmm. generally speaking, innovative new ways to measure risk generally leads to some systemic failure at some point <laughs> in that system, if not done really kind of thoughtfully. And so finding those opportunities where there's a market need and a desire to take some different risk, and there's a fintech that can bring that innovation into it and and really tailor it or tweak it to the credit unit, I think is key. One of the, the interesting things we always hear is the fintechs come in and say, well, we're going to lead with, this is going to increase your profitability. And in credit unions, that's not that they don't want to make money, right. but, you know, and the, no the next progression is, well, and it's about member service. Well, really, right. you want to get to member value, right? In that in that ecosystem, mm-hmm. and it, and they really speak a very different language about their mission, purpose, values, and what they're trying to do. And they and they walk the walk in that you know environment. And so you know, you got to really be, you got to take the time to understand that nuance if you're going to be successful in that space. Right, right. Now that makes sense. So. I mean, the fintechs that are coming to you, I mean, do you, I mean, it sounds like what you just said there, they don't, they don't, I mean, they're focusing on profitability. They don't get the credit union model. I mean, uh, like what else, like the fintechs out there, what, what, what's the message that they, they need to understand when, when they're trying to talk to credit unions? Yeah. So, so I, I think the, the, the simplest formula, formula, which is not perfect, but it's, it is a formula, which is, you know, you really start with what's the value to the you know, is this product or service going to add and solve problems for the credit unions members in their specific community? Secondly, is it going to be something that increases or decreases risk for the credit union? Because these are mature brands. They don't want to increase risk. You know, they tend to be uh, risk averse in that regard. So making sure you've packaged it in such a way that is appealing to them and is going to be brand additive at the end of the day and, and feel good, you know, in that regard. And then lastly, it probably needs to make a little money, right? Probably. It doesn't have to, right? right. It'll do many things that don't. But if, if you haven't solved for the first two, that third one isn't, isn't going to help, isn't going to win the day. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so are there, when you look at the credit union space, obviously there are some that are very, very large, um, like we have in the banking over on the banking side, but I mean, can you, do you think that overall, or maybe you can give us some examples of what, you know, name names or not, but what are, what are some of the ways that credit unions are doing really well when it comes to tech? Sure. So you see some, so DCU or digital credit union out of the Boston area has, has really gone far down this road. They've got a tech incubator at the DCU innovation lab. They invite 10, 15 fintechs in every six months 
they give them free office space and some coaching and the rest of that. And they agree to do pilots with these things to bring them into the credit union space. They're really interesting, you know, unlike uh, Y Combinator or some of the other, you know, early stage incubation labs in the area, DCU doesn't want any equity. They don't want a piece of your company. What they're looking to do is bring interesting ideas and do pilots and see if they work for their members and then scale them up from there. Um, So I think that's one where if you think about trend spotting or or tech scouting in that respect, they've moved up the the continuum beyond how do we save 20% and get some efficiencies into how do we participate in the ecosystem to see things earlier um, they haven't gone as far into, well, let's predict the future and go build some some things in advance of it, you know, where I think you'd see like a Cap One, uh, uh, Capital One, I think has done really well in that respect. So that's, I think, one example. At the smaller scale, you know, there's a credit union up in um, North Dakota called Northern Hills. They're a $100 million credit union. They rolled out Synaptic's AI underwriting platform to do, you know, basically they're able to to approve 40% more loans by using this AI machine learning based underwriting structure. And I think that's just a great example on the other side where you can have a a pretty small financial institution really leverage big technology to really impact the lives of their members in that community. Right, right. And yeah, we just had the Synaptic CEO on the podcast just a few episodes ago. I'll have to let him know about that. But um, <laughs> anyway, you mentioned AI. I do want to talk about AI because, you know, you've got a, I don't know whether the book's published yet, but you've got a book uh, coming out uh, on AI. What, I guess, why, why focus on that topic? Well, so, you know, so I'll, I'll give you the, the cold hard truth, which was I'd written book one and uh, had seen a really interesting talk talking about the future of AI and its, and its whole. And I just thought, you know, this is something that I don't think anybody's really thinking about, both short or long term. And as I started researching a bit, I just I just found it fascinating that every every single ninety nine out of hundred fintechs that I was looking at were using machine learning or AI in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Yet I wasn't hearing a single credit union person talk about machine learning, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and and you start to as you look at some of the early winners in AI, like I, I don't really know how anybody ever catches Tesla right at this point right. from the amount of data that they've generated, you know, in this. And, and I mean, maybe, maybe it happens or there's some different algorithm that they come up with, you know, but at this stage, you know, data is the game and, and the early winners in AR are the ones who have the most data and the most practice in, in this pattern recognition. And so I just felt that it was re- a key enough issue that we needed to get it, get it attention within the industry and get credit unions and banks really thinking about what life was going to be like 20 years from now, if these things were successful, right? Mm -hmm. Because I I don't think it's just about, I think what we're seeing now is actually pretty rudimentary AI, you know, it's basic pattern recognition, moving away from heuristics programming into, you know, machine learning, but where it really starts to impact is, is when these algorithms are able, are able to outperform the workload that we can do as humans in specialty tasks is that first real piece. And you're already seeing it with, you know, some of the chat bots, some of the under, like underwriting is a perfect example, right? Right. We're already at a point where you can program all your loan data in and the thing outperforms what any human can come up with, you know, hands down, right. You know, very, very quickly. Well, that's just on making a, a, a point in time decision when it starts actually automating some of these job functions and starts changing 
how it's going to impact our day-to-day workloads and stuff. You know, I think, I think it has huge potential. And when you could be at a point where AI, you know, 20 years from now is going to just level the playing field, you know, quite drastically. And, and I just, you know, I, I kind of think about it if I were an executive and I was trying to think about the future and what skills I would need, right. You know, if, if you're going to master AI, you're not going to do it in six months, right. right. Um, you, you need to be on a, on a seven to 10 year journey of that. And the sooner you start that journey, the better chance you have of it, not completely, you know, ruining your picnic. Right. Right. So then I mean, you mentioned underwriting, you mentioned chatbots. Are those, where, where should credit unions be focusing? Uh, or where, where, where do you recommend? I mean, you might write about it in the book, I'm guessing that what are the areas that have the most uh, room for improvement? Yeah. So I think, so, so the book kind of, I, I, one of the things I really liked about book one was I, I did a case study kind of approach where I picked fintechs and kind of showed how they were going about something. So I did the same thing in book two, where just found 10, 15 fintechs that had really interesting case studies in each element of the, the bank or credit union. So whether it was, you know, payments, whether it was, uh, you know, call center, whether it was collections, each of those pieces I thought was an important piece. Because I think it's important to recognize this is not a departmental issue, right? Yes, it may start on underwriting and yes, it may move into chatbots, but it's going to disrupt every aspect of the organization. So, you know, so, so that was kind of where I went. There's also, I think, the broader strategic questions of like, well, what is compliance going to look like? What are we going to do with, especially in the credit industry, you were built around pockets of bias, right? Like the very nature of credit unions is we have a small group of church people. We have a small community. We have a small employer. We have some distinctly, you know, consistent firefighters, you know, like for example. So of course, when you look at all of their loan performance data or all their underwriting decisions or all their collections data, like, of course, it's going to be obvious that that there's going to be a huge need uh, to deal with the regulatory impact of the fact that you have complete bias in how you're making these decisions based on this small community. And so I think there's going to be a lot of compliance regulatory side of that long term to make sure that we're not, that we're staying true to kind of, you know, the, the broader, you know, lending requirements and deposit requirements and, and banking requirements in general on that side. So I think there's how do we improve the services that we have in the world today? And then there's the, how do we not go awry in terms of uh, compliance piece? I think beyond just chatbots and underwriting, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, a hundred other use cases that, you know, that we can be playing around with that can give you a competitive edge at this point, whether it's, you know, uh, one of my favorite ones is a company called FlexPay that does, um, they do merchant processing for recurring payments. And what they've ac- accidentally done was reverse engineer through a machine learning algorithm what the fraud detection systems do, which are all heuristic-based designed 20 years ago for the most part. And by doing that, they're able to get a higher throughput of recurring payments by timing them correctly based on what that heuristics program is going to do, and then lower the merchant processing fees for those merchants in that equation. And that's that's the merchant perspective. On the consumer perspective, they eliminate the number of times your credit card gets falsely rejected for a transaction you've done 22 times before, right? right? right. Which is super frustrating from a member experience perspective because it's not, I did this transaction the last seven months in a row. Why is it, Why is this month the month that you decide it's a problem? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so, you know, so I think that's a, a really good payments example. You know, one of the things I concluded in the book, well, really in both books was the idea that we are going to predict as financial institutions a behavior in advance. Maybe, but most of the time, what we're, what we see as the financial institution is the result of some set of decisions, right? It, it's not the beginning of the decision, right? Like no one, no one wants a, no one wants a car loan. They want a car. Right. <laughs> no one wants a home, a home mortgage. They want a home, right? And and the car and the and the bank of the credit's job is to facilitate that transaction once the decision has been made, mm-hmm. not to make the decision for the consumer. Now, of course, there's early warning signs of a decision that's pending uh, or or coming down the road. But, but so I think as you think about that and think about AI's ability to really preposition and get the organization ready and understand that something is coming and and the different ways to process it, I think there's huge opportunities on that side. Right, right, right. And so w- when will the book be published? So the book was published a few months ago. Oh, so it's, it's live exactly. in, in uh, Amazon now. Okay. Um, so you, you can buy it now and it should be a reasonably quick read. It is, I will say it is, it is more academic than the first book. Right. So, uh, you know, I don't know how to write a how-to book on something that hasn't been done yet, right? Right, right. Well, I'll make sure I link to that in the show notes. But anyway, we're out of time. But before I let you go, just one last question. I mean, credit unions have, you know, said they've had a challenging time. It sounds like you're optimistic about the future for credit unions. Just maybe end with why. Why are you optimistic? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two pieces. I think they've got an underlying capital structure that's pretty strong. They're really safe and secure financial institutions in that regard. They don't do a lot of risky things that are likely to systemically cause them to fail. I think that the second big piece that I, I think is, you know, they, at its core, they always have their members, because they're financial cooperatives and always have their members' best interest in mind, I think it gives them a certain amount of protection you know, from a long-term perspective, because yes, they might lose, you know, they might lose the battle, right? But the capital allows them to be fighting a, a longer-term piece of that and allows them to pivot and change and really allows for that long-term st- stability, you know, and, and I see them really actively engaged in the conversation and trying to do different things in that regard, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not, it's not that they're sitting around with their heads in the sand going, this isn't happening. It's they spent a lot of time being thoughtful about how do we make sure this is a good experience for the consumer at the end of the day. Right, right. That's uh, interesting. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Kirk. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks. See ya. It is interesting to me that we have probably a similar number of credit unions in this country as we have banks. And uh, there, are, there are some large credit unions, but most of them are, are, are quite small and serving uh, some kind of you know, membership that, uh, that has, has something in common. Now, fintechs have been really focused on, on, on serving banks and they've done that quite well, but just, there, there is less happening between fintechs and credit unions. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to get Kirk on the show. There's an opportunity there. You know, what Kirk's company is doing is really helping to you know, facilitate that and helping fintechs and credit unions come together, which I think will, will be a, it's a good thing for, for, both, uh, for both parties. And I see, I, I see there's no reason why credit unions shouldn't have and, and, and won't have the same cutting edge technology that any bank has and that's available it's available today from from many fintechs and i think we're going to see many more fintechs in the near future focus on on the credit union space 
Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Before we go, I want to remind you about the brand new event from Lended Fintech. Fintech Nexus, the Dealmakers Summit, will be the first major in-person fintech event of the past 18 months. A hand-curated audience of venture capitalists, bankers, fintechs, and debt investors will be meeting face-to-face at an event 100% focused on doing deals. It will be happening in Miami on September 1st and 2nd. You can apply to join and find out more at lender.com.